I'm so happy to have as my guest Professor George Reiskamp, Juris Doctor, Accredited Genealogist. From 1979 through 1993, he was an attorney in private practice in Riverside, California. Since 1993, he has been a professor of history at Brigham Young University, and since 2003, he has held the position of director of the Center for Family History and Genealogy. His accomplishments and scholarly work fill many pages, and I could spend the whole time reading from his curriculum vitae, but that would leave us little time for the interview. Well, let me just say a few more words. He has authored many textbooks, books, pamphlets, book chapters, and peer-reviewed journal articles. Some of his works include Hispanic Family History Research, Finding Your Hispanic Roots, A Bibliography of Spanish Colonial Records in the United States, Spanish Military Records, and quite possibly one of his better books was co-authored by his wife, Mrs. Peggy Reiskamp, A Student's Guide to Mexican-American Genealogy. Thank you, Professor Reiskamp, for joining me today. As I mentioned earlier, I am the moderator of the Rancho's Genealogy Group, and my first three questions come from some of the group members. From Leticia Leon, Are there any school or other institution projects to motivate children to get interested in family history and research? I have not seen anything specifically for Hispanics with the exception of some projects that SHARE, the Society for Hispanic Historical and Ancestral Research did. Uh, Mimi Lozano, who heads up that group, uh, began her career many years ago as a elementary school teacher and they, they've been some work there uh, in the broader genealogical community. There are occasionally presentations on projects that can be done. My wife, uh, when she taught elementary school in California, did a heritage, family heritage or genealogy section for elementary school and it was very, very positive. I attended a session of the American Library Association and there were librarians from both Los Angeles and San Antonio there that did a combined session along with what I was doing uh, in the two-hour session, and they comp they emphasized uh, doing um, excuse me, the Day of the Dead, which is a Mexican. It's observed by many of the Hispanic countries, but particularly big in Mexico. And they had a series of ideas that that you could be used there. And I'd have to go back. I, I didn't pick up any specifics to, to do that, but they had some very, very good ideas for tying that into the development of family heritage as a beginning point where you use the 1st of November as your starting point. Talked about uh, the Day of the Dead activities and then moved into the Children's Project and they had a very good little public bo published book that had art ideas and things to tie in with that. So there's been some. Okay. Um, and it's an interesting area. It's an area that much more could be done. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Victor Villarreal asks, are there any kind of statistics or failure success rates for genealogy researchers in terms of a generation count? In other words, what can the average genealogist realistically expect to find from available sources? I'm not sure there is an average genealogist. Uh, the 
nor am I sure that I've ever kept a generational count. Um, I think most people, if they're, if they're keeping score at all, they're looking at the number of individuals, the number of families, just because your computer programs do that automatically. Um, I, there's always the people who want to compare how far back they've gotten, and again, uh, that depends if you, who you are and where you're researching. Uh, if you are in New Mexico, your odds of getting back to 1680, if your ancestors have been there, um, going back into the colonial period are excellent. The records are very good and that's an option. If you are working in small towns in Spain, I frequently run ancestral lines back into the uh, late 1500s. Um, in fact, in reality to the early 1500s by the time you extrapolate with some of the non-parish records and work through that way. Again, it's location, location, location. 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 Yeah, and, and then there are, the, there are challenging areas. Um, and even there, it depends on who you tie into. I, my friend Raul Guerra from in Texas has, happens to have ancestral lines that go back into many of the more well-known individuals. And we're currently working on a couple of his lines in, out of Mexico, um, such as Andres Tapia, who was with Cortez, or Alonso de Sosa, who was uh, the number two man with Oñate going into New Mexico in 1598 and we're now connecting those and running them back uh, five to ten generations or further backwards from those 1500 dates mm -hmm. into that. So so much depends on who you find and the quality of the records. Uh, there's some correlation with important people but most of it has to do with just the how fortunate you are in having records available in a particular place. I would say I've never worked on a Mexican line or a line in Spain that I haven't pushed it back well past 1800 and it's exceptional not to get into the at least the late 1600s and usually since the, my experience is people have not didn't know the right records to use or if they were hiring me didn't have we I didn't have the time or they didn't have the money to keep going back, it's rare when you run out of records. You just, you, the, the easy ones disappear and then you have to learn how to use the other ones. Well, that moves me into my next question. Ed Cerros was asking, are you taking on any new clients? And if so, how can someone contact you to discuss the specifics? We are, but we are notoriously slow at getting the job done. Not for lack of interest, but just because the more involved I've become in administrative works and projects like our Immigrant Ancestors Project at school, the less time that I have to devote to clients. Uh, my wife more and more spends most of her time and uh, we do take new clients, uh, almost entirely uh, Mexico and Spain. Um, we like to take a new client when we go to Spain just because it gives us a chance to stay in the basics of 19th century research which otherwise is an exciting diet of uh, records before 1550 but two months solid without any of the 19th century stuff becomes a little long and so we we like an interesting blend so we do take new clients um, I also am developing a network of students that I have trained who are uh, taking clients and I try to when we can't handle it and I, I I know the students and I could look at the research project, pass the client to them. We don't, I, for a variety of reasons, do not maintain uh, a network that I 
function and pay them. I, I prefer to let them function independently. But I have three or four students who are very good. And uh, most of them are employed in one way or another in the genealogy field and doing this as we do on the side. So that's an option. And we can be reached at uh, ricecampg, all one word, at msn.com. Great, thank you. Uh, I personally do my research at the Family History Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I'm also a volunteer. Our director, Lucy Whitehead, she's just wonderful. We all love her there. But for me, the temptation is to stay, stay with baptism, birth, marriage, death, and matrimonial information records. What would you say are the most valuable but underused records available through the LDS library and or other archives? If I had to pick two single records, the first would definitely be notarial records. Uh, those collections, if, it's, if you're familiar with Anglo research, if you were to take the probate court records, the, um, such as guardianships, death inventories, all of that has to do with processing death. If you were to combine that with all of the land records and add to it marriage contracts and a variety of personal legal contracts, all of that combined into a single source is what notarial records are. They are notoriously slow in their use because much like U.S. court records, they're, they have formats, they can, you can learn to use them, but they're longhand, two, three-page records. But when you find them, the things that you find are absolutely wonderful. Not just the testaments and the land sale contracts, the economic picture, those give you death inventories, uh, death inventories down to the details. Uh, today I spoke about Paulina Sanchez and the description of the things that she owned, including uh, the cards for stretching the wool and the other fibers to make the thread, various balls of thread and other uh, remains of the work that she was doing uh, clearly in weaving and in the mills and the picture it gave of her life, the crucifix that hung above her bed. Death inventories like that are marvelous. Um, I had a, we were in the Canary Islands for the first time working there and going through the notarial records and had a client who the government tried to seize all of his assets and his wife was fighting back. He was in jail because he had been running contraband, i.e. military deserters off of the island, which uh, got him into some trouble. You don't find that kind of richness in reality anywhere else. But you say when you find them, how do you find them? I really don't know that much about notarial records, but don't you need to know the name of the notary? Or is it generally the notarial records? Yes, they're filed under the name of the notary. And any time you find the notary's name, if he's a witness or a godfather or the child, the father of a child in a baptism, you automatically write that down. But the reality is, most archives today have notarial records indexed both under the name of the notary and the places where they served. And so, basically, normally, what you do is you write to the archive and you say. I am interested in looking at notarial records for the town of Cantalpino and what do you have available and they will send you back and Cantalpinos in Salamanca Spain and they will send you back a list of the oh, probably in that particular case 35 or 40 boxes or bundles of records for that town uh, before 1800 
and it's a slow process. Uh, with even with my familiarity and speed, uh, it generally takes me three to six hours to go through one of those, spotting the names, and then when we see something that might be of interest, we tend to photocopy where possible, and then come home and really read it. So for Jalisco, Zacatecas, Aguascalientes, or Chihuahua, we would identify the specific area or cabecera. Yeah, now when you get up into Mexico, uh, that part of Mexico, when you go down a little further, Durango and south, uh, you tend to find the notarial records are fairly consistent for the little towns. Santiago Papasquiaro, just outside Durango, we're working right there in the town. And those notarial records exist from about uh, the 1650s for that town, distinguished from Durango Capital, which has its own. And the Durango notarial records happen to be uh, microfilmed and are available th through uh, the library at uh, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. Um, that's what you have there. The Chihuahua uh, notarial records, um, the major collection exists for the city of Chihuahua. Uh, they're, they've never been cataloged, uh, and there are, depending on where you are in the small towns, they start anywhere after 1800, running up much later. Saltillos in Mexico have been indexed, and they're at the municipal archive. Uh, there are notarial records in the municipal archive in Chihuahua, as well as the notarial archive. You get them in both places there. Mexico, the northern part, is is a patchwork of knowing where to look, what questions to ask, um, and but they, they do exist and when they do they're, they tend to be follow the same process, the same quality. I have an article that I need to get published and just haven't finished up on notaries and notarial records in Saltillo uh, during the 18th century where they were bound and they're very, very well done and they're indexed. Uh, in fact, Saltillo went through and did a special wills and testaments index that covered all the wills and testaments that they have in their archive. And we're talking probably 1,500 documents hmm. covering the full time. So they're there in Mexico. They're just harder. You have to know where to look. And you check at the municipal archive. Uh, the, eight, the national period, you, you have the same pattern. They begin to appear in the 1850s in many of the small towns. Uh, that's the case in Coahuila, Chihuahua. Again, further south you go, the more likely you're going to have major collections. Well, the, in uh, the Archdiocese of Guadalajara, there seems to be many, many films that the LDS Library has available, but when I look at the, the index, it's just difficult to determine which films to order for my specific towns. The problem with, and that's not notarial records, those are church records. Uh, that are there, although they may occasionally have ecclesiastical notary records where the apostolic notary did the drafting of wills and other documents. Um, you're right. The Guadalajara records are badly indexed. Uh, so are the Morelia ones. They're filmed, but they're, they're very poorly inventoried even, let alone indexed. Uh, Doug English did a study back in 1980 of the cataloging for the Morelia collection, um, which is Michoacan, the diocese down there, and he estimated it was about 10% accurate. So it's it's difficult to use those. Uh, eventually, somebody's going to have to begin to do more. Uh, there's work on the marriage dispensations going on for Guadalajara, uh, and for the Archdiocese of Durango, which encompasses 
all the way up into New Mexico, so from Durango north to New Mexico throughout the colonial period, at least from 1620 forward, uh, those records have been inventoried and are gradually being indexed from the microfilms that uh, the Rio Grande Historical Society did. And that index is available. You can go on their online and they'll send uh, the current version of their index, which generally picks up names of towns and is beginning to pick up individuals. And that's for all of their the records. So you pick up uh, census records, you pick up uh, tithing records, uh, letters requesting a priest, uh, lawsuits about the priest not doing his job, uh, not to be critical, but a wide variety of things, as well as uh, the censuses, the marriage dispensations, those kinds of records. And that's an excellent source. If you're working in that area, the Nueva Vizcaya, Nuevo Mexico area, you want to look at that Durango index. And uh, the, the people there are doing a marvelous job, and they have one full-time man who is all he basically most of what he does is reading through the colonial periods, creating an index and adding to their existing index inventory. Yeah, New, New Mexico State University, uh, the special collections uh, person there, Dennis Daly, sent yes. me a, a, a CD, a finding aid for their uh, Durango record. That's what I'm talking about, yes. and that's okay. the CD. That's the CD, okay. and they're adding to it every year. I mean, practically weekly, monthly. Uh, the person who's Dennis is this kind of supervisor for Kendricks, Hendricks, Hendrickson is doing, I think it's Hendricks, is doing the actual, most of the actual reading. Uh, and he's the one I also mentioned, the San Buenaventura Parish Records, seven, Baptism, 1776 to 1801. He's the one who had done those and offered that to me as well. So when is it time to use a professional researcher and how would you go about evaluating a professional researcher? The time to use a professional researcher is when you are into a category of records that you cannot or do not have the time to read yourself. Uh, and so it depends very much on your economic situation and also how busy you are or what time you have. And we have clients that run the scope of all we do is in Spain research for them. We do not compile. They, we bring back the raw data. and. They merge it in, they do all the parish records. Uh, most of those tend to be uh, 1600 and before. On the other hand, we have clients that we do the whole picture for, you know, all the research, whatever's done, because either they don't have the ability or they don't have the time, but they do have the interest and the resources. So it really depends on who it is and how do you evaluate. You give them a small assignment. Uh, pick a specific records or a specific family group, uh, clearly define what time you want them to spend. Uh, the only time I've ever run into problems was the situations where I didn't clearly define that. Uh, I try to do it now with a, a letter contract, uh, and you always feel bad when occasionally, for whatever reason, uh, somebody misunderstands and you send a, a bill and they're, and I can actually only think of it happening once. but. Uh, and there was not the quality of the research, it was the fact that we did too much too fast and because we happened to be in Southern California doing it. But uh, the, that's generally give them a specific assignment, define how much time they should spend, ask them you know, what records are available. No one can predict the success. If somebody promises you 
that they're going to find a certain number of generations you want to worry immensely because there's no guarantee in the work we're doing. There's no way to know that unless they've already been in the records and searched for that before. They can't promise you they're going to find anything. Your information may be bad, there may be gaps in the records, all kinds of problems that don't usually come up, but because they can, can make a difference. And strangely enough, 19th century Mexican record research, late 19th century, is much harder than Spain in the 1600s because of the volume. The Mexican parishes are huge. The Spanish parishes uh, are very small, whereas the Mexican parishes, you, you'll have an entire book for one or two years of baptisms. And with no indexes, you turn the pages, whether you cover 50 years in a parish or five, uh, the time is the time. There's, there's no way to speed that process up. And, and is it always the case that the, uh, when looking for a professional researcher to find someone from that specific locality? You want to find someone who's familiar with records, preferably from that locality. Um, finding someone from the locality is less of an issue today because of the extensive microfilm records and also I mean, there are some of us who know the records well but we travel to to those locations um, finding someone who's adequately trained in Mexico or Spain uh, where I've worked the most is not always easy uh, they may be capable of parish record searches but often they have not used um, the kinds of records that we've talked about the notarial records, censuses, catastros, and other kinds of records that are available. And so you have to be certain. And you know, often the people who are doing this are trained historians. And yes, they're familiar with how to find things in parish records, but they not approach the other records as genealogists. And we do have, in our lineage construction, different needs. Another thing you wanted to find with a professional is, are you only doing lineage construction? Or do you want him to bring back the family stories? Is that part of the picture? I also personally will not research a pedigree. I research family groups that build the pedigree. I don't do single lines. Uh, occasionally I will take a surname line, but I still insist that I have to construct full family groups on that surname line, and I have to look at wives and their parents because that's part of the picture, and if you don't, you end up making mistakes. I've heard it said that one could hire a professional researcher to help you find general information sources as opposed to specific genealogy research. For example, a member of the Ranchos group, Josie Trevino, and I have our brick walls in the missing 160-year baptism gap in Zacatecas, Zacatecas. I was thinking of hiring someone like Bernardo del Hoyo to locate sources that might fill that gap. What's your opinion? I think that there's some real opportunities to have people who know well uh, the records for the area or know how to use records. I function across four countries and have used record sources in so many types that I can often go in and I know the kinds of questions to ask to probe what records exist and so I think that there are situations where if people would, uh, could, could be overcome by hiring a researcher who would go in 
and look, and I'm not familiar with the gap in Zacatecas, but uh, I would check records in the Archivo General de la Nación. I would look to see what notarial records exist to cover those. The, the time periods, I definitely would look at marriage dispensations out of Guadalajara and the diocese that's there, which have not been indexed. Uh, everybody kind of, they do Guadalajara or they do uh, the work that uh, Raul Guerra and Nadine Vasquez have done for the northeastern end up from Coahuila and Nuevo Leon, uh, Tamaulipas up into Texas, and they've been indexed, but there's a gap. So looking for those kinds of records are, is going to help fill in that, that area. I would go over to the HEI and begin to do place research. Um, there, there's a lot of material out there. Those are the the major places I would start to look, but uh, I, I think there's a lot that can be assembled. I've been doing it, uh, that kind of a project, because I have a client in the Chihuahua area in towns of Hano, San Buenaventura, and uh, we've been doing area place research and coming up with a wide variety of records. And uh, I, I have a man, an ancestor of his by the name of Jesus Garcia. He was nothing but a grandparent's name, and I now have everything but place of birth. I have parents' names. I find him by age four. I have found him requesting a priest and signing the request and talking about it being a young man in the Chihuahua area. I have his marriage. I picked up uh, most of his children on the baptisms and other references to them. I have him serving as a judge. I found him in the notarial records of the 1890s. He's dead, but he signed off as a judge on a notarial record in the uh, 1840s. He was, uh, I found him in the Provincias Internas as a soldier. Fortunately, no service personnel. Couldn't be that easy, but I do find him. I can tell you exactly where he was month by month from 1816 when he enlisted until 1819 when the records end. Um, again, but I, it, was, it was done by what you're suggesting. It was done by going through, searching the places, I now have every available census record for Hanos, San Buenaventura, and uh, Casa Grande down there. So yes, there, there's an opportunity that somebody could do to put together um, research and records. Uh, the Durango Index of the um, Documentary Relations of the Southwest Index for that whole area and looking at the Provincias Internas if you're in that area, uh, Zacatecas is not, the, is not but uh, th there's those kinds of things. Somebody needs to do it. Some of it's been done by Peter Cole, but more needs to be done on Sinaloa. There's a similar gap in the Sinaloa records that uh, that that kind of an approach, a very thorough, exhaustive approach, is going to fill in the gaps for many people. Okay, thank you so much for all those uh, answers. My last two questions. In the realm of family history and genealogy, what contributions have you made of which you are most proud? And the same question, but outside the realm of family history and genealogy. You know, I've spent, uh, since 1973, uh, major portions of my life, both when I was an attorney and since coming to the university, uh, teaching and talking about Hispanic family history research. Uh, I, in 73, I was a very much a lone voice in the wilderness. There were probably only a, a dozen of us countrywide who were even interested. And 
So it's been exciting to see that growth, to come to a conference and talk to people that I talked with in New York and find out that they not only heard, but they, they listened and they are now doing it themselves and they're coming back with even deeper questions and wanting to go back to Spain and uh, driving down from New York to Washington to absorb more. And so I think that if I had to pick any single item, um, and it continues to grow. We're, we're doing a Basque family heritage right now where we're, we're involved with the University of New Mexico, Reno, although not, not time yet for public questions, but we're looking at identifying all Basques in the United States. And major project that they, they're setting up and funding and I'm involved with that. So that whole area is extremely important. And then recently, in the last four years, as the director for the Center for Family History and Genealogy, um, I'm also the director of the Immigrant Ancestors Project. And we are identifying European immigration records, mostly 19th century, uh, currently working in Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, Germany, England. We just opened France and we'll open up the Netherlands. And we're looking for immigration records when we find them. Many cases have never been identified or used, even by historians, let alone genealogists. And we're acquiring copies. We're then digitalizing those. We have a program where we send out to volunteers to extract them, and then they send them back. We verify, and we put them into a database online. It's functioning. You can see that at immigrants.byu.edu. And I, I think ultimately that will be a very major contribution uh, to the search for ancestors, not just Hispanic, but in, in all of Europe. Thank you so much. I just personally want to say thank you for everything you've done. Your work has been great, and I've learned an awful lot from uh, reading, finding your Hispanic roots, and you pretty much started off my genealogy thank when you. I was just starting out. I've only been doing research for about three years, but I've learned a lot in that time, and I just want to thank you again. Thank you very much, Joseph. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview. This interview of Professor George Reiskamp took place immediately after the Hispanic Family History Symposium in Washington, D.C. on September 24, 2005, and is the first in the new podcast series called Nuestra Familia. I would like to encourage you to visit http colon forward slash forward slash groups dot yahoo dot com forward slash group forward slash pod high p-o-d-h-i forward slash and join Dorinda Moreno and I archive conferences, seminars, oral history and all available sources of audio files on Latino and Native American genealogy and history. If you have any questions or comments please direct them to Joseph Puentes. The email address is lafamilianr at gmail.com. That's lafamilianr at gmail.com. Or you can leave a message at 206-339-4134. Keep this in mind. Make it your goal to give a little more than you take. Bye.